1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, Jeff Hornacek will join the big show right at 2 o'clock today. So uh, make sure to be dialed in and uh, listen to Jeff Hornacek, his memories of Coach Sloan passing away today at the age of 78. Joining us now, a man who called uh, some of those games, a guy that was courtside for many, many of those games uh, with Jerry Sloan, and a guy who grew up a jazz fan like all of us, David Locke joining us. David, how you doing? Hey, David. I'm good. I, I think today really considering what Jerry had to go through at the end of his life is truly a celebration of life, but, you know, sadness anytime somebody passes. But, um, you know, I think Jerry, this, this has been a lot, this last period of time when Ron Boone and I saw him most recently, there were still the glimmers. And from what I've heard from people, those had, those had, those had gone away. So really a day to celebrate his life and um, maybe thankful Thankful he didn't have to endure a period of time that was so contrary to who he was any longer. David, I know that uh, you've had some um, pretty serious obligations this morning and probably haven't heard, you know, Antoine Carr was on with us and Big T and Buller. There's one resounding theme from all the interviews, and that is a celebration and great laughs, man. It, Jerry was just he was just incredible wasn't he just every aspect a man could have he had it he you know he he was about as consistent to who he said he was as anyone out there right like that's kind of that's kind of what he was there's you know bowler probably can speak to some of these better than i can um you know but uh there there was a night we were in orlando at the at the hotel and there's a really fabulous hotel bar we were there I'm going to I'm going to bed. Why do you go to bed? You know, people die in their sleep. Why would you do that? Like, just Jerry riling it up. And, you know, he had all these great lines all the time. So many interesting aspects of his personality. I mean, I would tell a story that I, um, that early on when I was, he had done a lot, been very generous as he always was. And so at some point along the way, um, I had, I had bought him a, drink or an appetizer or something i don't remember what it was and you know quickly got told by the group like you don't do that like he didn't ever want to be indebted to anyone and so i actually kind of misstepped like he was more than willing to take care of everyone but maybe due to his his upbringing and and that's worth talking off a lot about of where he came from um but he is you know he just never wanted that never wanted to owe anyone anything and um and then I was really fortunate at the end. We had those Tuesday Legends lunches, and, you know, he'd, he'd just go on it every now and then, go on a good run, and it, it was special to be around. David Locke joining us right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Uh, weren't you the guy that kind of flagging the mic around the crowd uh, during some of those old coaches' shows when they had those at uh, Green Street? Uh, some of that. Um, I, don't, I don't think I did a lot of that. Um, He's mentioned coaches show. I remember replacing, you know, taking this radio job and having to do my first coaches show with Jerry. Oh yeah. my! Yeah. Um, you know, we had had a we had had a tumultuous relationship to start. Um, I had worked for a guy who he really didn't like, and I was pretty bombastic when I was out here the first time, and he wasn't always in love with everything I had to say. There's a uh, actually, if I could just go on story time again, if you don't mind. So I actually became pretty close with his wife, late wife, Bobby, and his daughter, Holly. And there were two parts of that. Bobby used to always say, you know, you and Holly are the same age, David. And I was like, Bobby? 
There is no chance I'm walking up to the front door and ask, going out for dinner with Jerry Sloan's daughter. Like that, Bobby? Come on, David. You're the same age. She doesn't know many people out here. You're both single. You're both non-LDS. I was like, Bobby, there's, if she meets me everywhere we ever go, maybe. But no chance am I ever walking up to the house and having a chance that Jerry might open the door. And then Jerry, you know, was really on me, like, I'd ask a question, and he'd rip my head off. And, you know, I understand why. Like, I'm not – there's no criticism there. I got it. And finally, I guess one day it was live after a game, and Bobby was driving home and heard it. And I saw Bobby afterwards. He goes, I'll take care of it. That'll stop. And uh, you're asking fair questions. It'll stop. And I was like, okay. And I remember I'm I'm leaving a media session one day, and Jerry would lock. I was like, oh, God. Like, I'm, like, terrified, right? Like, it's Jerry. And I turn back. He goes, my wife says you're all right. That was it. Not another word. I did not know how to react. I had no idea what to do next. But, um, and then I remember, uh, sorry, I'm just kind of going on various. When I left to go to Seattle, uh, I think in maybe one of the most inappropriately pompous acts of my life, I stopped by Jerry's office to tell him I was leaving. I don't know what I expected, but so I walked in, and I said, hey, coach, and he's like, yeah, and I, keep, and I said, I, I just want to tell you, I just took a job in Seattle, and I'll, 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 be, I'll be going to Seattle. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'm walking out feeling like, oh, my gosh, that was the stupidest thing I've ever done. Whatever you do. Don't bet Bob Weiss in anything. That was his former teammate in Chicago. And that was like his one word me as I walked out. Whatever you do, don't bet Bob Weiss in anything, which was true because I saw Bob Weiss take a few hundred dollars from a pool, on a pool table from people in San Antonio. So um, I, I thank Jerry for saving me money on that day. Man, he's so good, David. His tempo in talking is, is one thing I'll, I'll always remember. You know, I was just telling Scotty a story. Uh, when I had just retired from football, was transitioning into the media, I wanted to get to know football, uh, basketball, and I, I asked Jerry, I said, if I'm going to learn basketball, where do I need to start? And he quickly said, rebounding. And then he kind of held his breath, and, 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 you know, he'd leave that open pause, and he, he would start to kind of formulate his ideas and what he wanted to say further. His tempo and timing and talking and then his quick quips – are as good as, as anything I can remember. Can we can we go back? Maybe the, my most favorite interview I've ever done, and um, uh, I failed here because it's on cassette tape, and I had actually just recently uh, reached out to Larson. Um, Brett Larson is a listener of the show, and his company transferred these things, and then COVID hit, so we couldn't really do it. But I was, I was going to transfer this, so I will at some point here. Um, but maybe my most favorite interview I've ever done in my life is Jerry sat and I sat down and did a life of Jerry Sloan interview. It, it's, you know, it's really incredible. Like this is, you talk about like a self-made man. Like it's, it's incredible. The, the poverty that he was raised in was significant enough so that either his rookie year in Chicago or when he first went to Evansville, he ended up having a real, health problem because he had never in his life had any table of food that had extras. So he just had never ever 
in his entire life ever stopped eating because he was full and didn't really know how from what he basically told me. And so when he got to a training table, he just ate because at no point in his life did he ever had a meal where he just ever had enough food. He didn't know that that was an experience he didn't have either till Evansville or Chicago. I'm not, I can't recall which. He lived out on the farm in McLeansboro. To go to basketball practice, they would practice in the morning because everybody had to be home in the afternoon to, to help with farming and various things around the house. And so if he to go, but, but they didn't have, like, he didn't have a mechanism by which to get there. So he would leave his house a few hours before practice and start walking the street, the long, many miles road to get to practice with the hope that somebody would pick him up. Yeah. <laughs> Hitchhike into practice. <laughs> And if they didn't pick um, him know, up, he'd just walk the so, distance, huh? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, uphill both ways was probably actually true in his case. Um, so, you know, those stories of his of his upbringing, and, and those were his people, right? Like that, and and, re, and so the, the real sadness I, I saw out of him ever was when some of those those people, those friends started to pass, like, that was his world. That that those people out on the farm, they knew Jerry Sloan as Jerry Sloan. His his world was was not necessarily that of you know the high, the Hall of Fame and nineteen thousand people and all of that. His, his world was those those uh, antiques and those tractors and and being out in that world. Hey David, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give you I'm, I'm gonna list off a roster. And uh, I'm going to tell you, and you tell me how many games this team should be winning in the NBA. Car- Carlos, they Dwayne, what they should have had. I know, I know, and it was set up for that too. Carlos, 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 yep, because Carlos Arroyo, Raja Bell, Curtis Borchard, Keon Clark, Jaron Collins, Gordon Gierichek, uh Tom Gugliotta, Ben Handlockton, Matt Harpering, Andre Karolinko, Raul Lopez. Mikey Moore, Greg Ostertag, Sasha Pavlovich, Michael Ruffin, Deshaun Stevenson, and a rookie, Mo Williams. That team went out well, and won 40, a, 42 games. I'm good friends with Frank Hughes. Frankie uh, said at the time it was the worst roster put together and might set the NBA record for most losses. That's who it was. Got, I mentioned that. I knew there was somebody out there that said this team would set would be the worst team in the history of the NBA. And uh, I, I'm not sure that Frank should have been criticized for that article as much as he was. And had that team been as bad as they should have been, then you're right. Dwight Howard is a member of the Utah Jazz. So you now have Andre Karolinko and Dwight Howard together. I don't know how we ever would have scored, but nobody would have scored against them. <laughs> I mean, I seriously, just, like, I guess, I guess Roger Bell goes on to have his Phoenix years at that point, right? Or he already had him? Yeah. No, no, that, 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 I, I, he hadn't had him yet, no. So, like, but not, none of the other guys even ever, like, Harpering has a good career afterwards. None of the other guys even play. Like, no. Michael Ruffin? Holy smokes. Carlos Arroyo? Like, you, you always know that Jerry got the most out of someone when you let him go and then they don't play afterwards. But 
not a lot of guys did, though. I mean, Raja may have been one of them, but not a lot of guys flourished after they left the Jazz and left that Jerry Sloan system. No, there. you know, I remember I talked to Carmelo once about if he'd ever thought about playing in that system. And uh, because I actually thought Carmelo was the player when he came out of Syracuse who could be most like Carl, frankly. Um, you know, his career went a little differently, but I mean, he – you know, imagine Carmelo coming across with the cross screen or the early offense. Yeah. He goes, I'd have to be in a lot better shape. He goes, it'd be pretty awesome. I'd have to be in a lot better shape. You know, here's the thing about Jerry. When I, was, I went to Seattle, and, and when I was in Seattle with Nate McMillan and Dwayne Casey and Paul Westfall and Bob Weiss and a bunch of great NBA coaches, you know, they all want to ask questions. Like, what's it like? How's it working? What's, you know, Nate would always ask me, do you think somebody else could do what Sloan did? And I was like, well, I don't know. He's like, well, I'm going to try. When I get my chance, I'm going to try. So we're going to find out. Nate's actually probably, you know, close in some ways, the closest disciple, you know, in some weird way, and kind of a disciple to Jerry in just play hard, don't beep with the game, um, and do it right. We were talking with uh, Gordy Chiesa, and he was talking about their 16-year run with Phil Johnson. He said that the last he had heard, he believed that it was an NBA record for three coaches that had stayed together the longest in that league. And he said that they stayed together because they were empowered. Is that a, is that a theme you've heard multiple times with Jerry and the way he handled his business? Well, it's that Jerry didn't take himself too seriously, right? So by not taking himself too seriously, then he's humble enough to allow those around him to do their job. David Locke, kind enough to join us, play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. What was that transition like, and how was Jerry with you um, when when you took over as a play-by-play guy? He was great. Like, that's the essence of him, right? Like, you know, some of his loyal followers were still a little – uncertain about Locke, Locke in this role and what does it mean for Jerry. Mark McCowan, one of the truly most loyal men out there to Jerry, you know, wasn't really ready for, for me to, to be in that position and wasn't sure about it. And so, you know, Jerry had his soldiers out there that were going to fight his fight for him and make sure he was all right, which is the ultimate in loyalty that Jerry earned. And, um, but Jerry to me was, was very kind and very welcoming and, you know, um, and, you know, kind of very similar to Hot Rod in the sense of, you know, you do you, be you, and you'll be fine if you're you. You work, you do, you know, you work hard enough. You don't have to try to be someone else. Just be yourself. And that was, that was the advice that both he and Hot Rod, interestingly, gave me. That's a relationship that, unfortunately, we don't have either of them to talk about. But those two were very close. They, you know, I think there was a, there was a real bond between those two, their upbringings have a lot of parallels. Um, obviously, the poverty we talked about and the farm that Jerry came from, Hot Rod being, you know, in, in even probably more poverty and raised in the, bo- uh, you know, in the brothel and brothel, excuse me. And, um, you know, I think that those those two had a really special bond. I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, this is life and this happens, but this that's the sadness is that, you know, those two were just such a, such an interesting and unique combination. <clears throat> David, you had a unique opportunity to be courtside while Jerry was calling games and, and running teams on the court. And 
you know, obviously he's legendary for the way he handled officials and handled players. Can you just kind of paint a picture for the listeners of, of what he was like during a game, you know, while you guys were sitting close to him and what you could hear and what you could take away from that? Well, I mean, in regards to officials, you know, it all came back to the same core aspect of just, you know, he, he wanted things to be right. Well, you know, his vision of right was clear. And so he wanted things to be right. So if an official was doing, you know, wasn't doing the job right or getting calls right, it, it was just the, the most grandiose, um, you know, insult to the right, what he believed on how things should happen, if you're, if you're following me. And so the reactions at times uh, were epic. And otherwise, there was just a pure coreness, you know, simple core uh, to what they're doing, right? Like, run the offense, execute it. If it's not working, execute it harder. We're not going to make adjustments, just execute it harder. And, you know, we're not changing what we're doing. Just do it better. And we do what we do. And we'd come, they'd come out and, you know, obviously there were some more adjustments than he would like to let on because the, when they were in their heyday, uh, I, you know, I don't know if the data backs us up, but my memory is it'd be an eight-point game going – you'd open the third quarter and be an 18-point game by the five-minute mark of the third quarter. I mean, they'd just kick the crap out of people to open up the third quarter all the time. And I'd have to assume that that was two parts. One, some sort of tactical adjustment, but also just – you know, the other team, and you get hit one more time, and you get banged one more time, and Jerry's system, and you're running a damn another cross screen, and crap, Stockton just got me with another pick in the kidney, and Malone just pushed, oh, oh man, I don't, I don't got 26, I don't got 24 minutes of this in me. And they just roll people early in the third all the time. Well, more often than not, he'd flash that C sign, and uh, and and everybody knew what was coming. I mean, you know, you knew what it was coming, and nobody could stop it. And that's been kind of the fun part of going back and looking at those Jazz teams uh, during the last dance, and just realizing how elite level offensively they were when you knew more often than not the the plays that were coming, and yet you people couldn't stop it. Yeah, I mean that was his essence, right? Well, we're gonna yeah. do what we do. Like, you know, you want to coach your team, Carl? I mean, there's all those legendary stories. Of, it's that, you know, it's that righteousness, right? Like, this is how it's supposed to be done. Like, I mean, there, I, I'm sure Antoine Carr's told a story or two, but, like, I mean, he and Carl would go, right? Like, you know, and Jerry, you want to fight me? Like, that was Jerry's other one. Like, what? Like, you disrespecting me? You want to fight me? Like, Mark Eaton could tell some great stories on that um, and has told them recently. Um, you know, there's – that was Jerry, right? Like, he was in charge, and if you wanted to – Lock, appreciate it. I know you've had a busy day. Um, hopefully it's going well for you out there and, and, and for those close to you. And um, just know we're, uh, we're rooting for Hope Hopefully things are going well. Well, we had just finished a practice round, so just trying to get in, have some fun together and share time right now in this crazy world. And this is just another good reminder of, yep. you know, cherish your moments and feel very fortunate about every moment you get with, with someone who's special in your life, I, I was obviously, you know, very fortunate to have the eight years of covering Jerry on the front side and then the, um, the, the few years as the coaches show and, and being a part of that was is certainly something. And, you know, that sit-down interview we did, I, 
was the old Delta Center and the seats were purple or were green or whatever they were and not purple, green. We were, the building was empty and it was just the two of us in about the fifth row angle right of the jazz bench. And I remember just sitting there and can't, couldn't believe that I was doing a 30 minute one-on-one with Jerry and the, the story of his life is, is something. There's the plane flight. I don't know if you guys have talked about that, but you know, he's supposed to be basically on that plane where everyone crashes and dies and he's not on it. And, you know, because of very, and that shook him for the rest of it. So he's, he had these, he had these incredible moments that were, that were so defining with the, I think honestly, the poverty, the farm, the plane crash, the being fired, um, you know, some other things in his childhood. There were these, the, Bobby's, Bobby's cancer. He had just these incredible defining life moments that formed who he was. David, are you going to be able to find that and post that? I'm going to try. Uh, I it, I don't know what the turnaround on it is, and I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to see. We'll we'll see what I can do. I may have to drive up to uh, into to Larson Audio or I don't, Larson Digital and see if I can get them to to do it for me. Can you can you at least give us a heads but up you, if you problem, if you do hands, find it, where will you post is, it? Um, I'll, well, I'll probably give it to you guys first. If, you, if okay. it, the only problem is, do you think it's anywhere near as good as I thought it was when I was twenty five? Yes. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. He is so candid, David. Good. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I would. I would love like, to hear some uh, of the yeah, backstories. So nervous, my voice was cracking, and you know, like, but that happened still at forty nine. So what's the difference? <laughs> man, he he was an incredible man, wasn't he, David? He was. Uh, you know, I'm I'm happy today. You know, it's I'm happy today. I, the last time, uh, and we and it, had, it had been a little while, but Ron and I went and saw Jerry, um, and uh, you know, a lot of it was great, but it was it was clear that like that's not, that wasn't. There were, there were glimmers of Jerry, but there were only glimmers. And uh, that's not who he was. So I'm, I'm happy today. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we get to celebrate him. I'm glad that Holly and his, his son and his other daughter get to hopefully, you know, close the door on this incredible Hall of Fame life and, and Tammy as well. And, um, and then we can all smile about it today. No doubt. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.